You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. So let's look at the map. You guys don't mind, Ashton, if you don't mind pulling that up. So we have Paul's missionary journey here. This is his second one. And as, we, as, I, as I do a recap of what's happened in the chapter, um, at the beginning of 17, up until verse, uh, let's see, up until verse 16 where we are, as I recap, find these places on the map, okay? So you can locate them and you can see where he's going and what's going on. All right, so at the beginning of 17, Paul and his partners came to Thessalonica. Do you see that up there? Okay, Thessalonica. So they came there, and they shared the message in the synagogue. And Mac talked about this last week, that the synagogue is where he went first because he was going to go to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And what did he reason with them? What did he talk to them about in the synagogue? That Jesus was the Messiah. So he was showing them scripture after scripture that Jesus is the fulfillment of these scriptures, that Jesus is the Messiah they've been longing for. So he went to the synagogue, and some believed and joined them there. But other Jews, the ones that did not like his message, drove him out of town. So his ministry team sent him to Berea. You see that on the map. So they sent him to Berea. He went into the synagogue again. We see a pattern, right? So Paul went into the synagogue and we learned last week that these folks in Berea joined, I mean, that they, they um, welcomed the message. Their hearts were opened, and they welcomed the message that God was bringing to them through Paul. And they were even getting in their scripture, and they were even, um, it said that they were clarifying it for themselves. Like they were going to scripture and saying, okay, this is, that's what we all should do. When someone brings you something new, go to the Bible and make sure that 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 it is truth, and, it's what, and that's what they did. They went, and they, um, it said they received the word with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. Okay, but then these Jews from Thessalonica found out what was going on in Berea, and what did they do? They said, oh, no, no, no. That's not going to happen in Berea either. So those Jews left Thessalonica, came to Berea, and were driving Paul out again. So this time, Paul, they sent Paul away to the coast to Athens. Okay, you see Athens, it's on the the far left side um, in Greece. So Paul went to Athens, but Silas and Timothy stayed behind. So this picks us, this is where we are Today, we're picking up here with Paul only in Athens. The rest of his team is behind still in Berea. He's waiting on them. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So let's stop there. Athens was the capital of Greece. It was the place where Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle had had spoken. This was a city unrivaled for its exquisite, exquisite architecture and statues and beauty. It was a place at that time where people would come just to feel enlightened and to feel um, cultured and to gain new philosophies and, and hear about new religions. And it was just a place where um, many ideas were welcomed. 
So you can imagine him going here, but he, as we see in this next part, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. And what is an idol? An an idol is any person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source. So it could be an actual statue. It could be a philosophy. It could be a religion. It could be money. It could be power. It could be fame. It could be a person. It could be your, uh, it could be your king. It could be an emperor. Um, anything could be an idol. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. So he saw that not only were there physical idols there, I mean, there were statues, there were objects of worship around the city, but he also saw the, the high importance that they put on their mind and their thinking and their philosophies. And it distressed him. It didn't just distress him, it deeply distressed him. Does anyone in their translation have another word for how Paul felt other than distressed? one yeah his spirit was stirred so we come to our our first question for today that I have for us is who is it for whom are you deeply distressed for whom do you have a burden there there's probably a group of people or a person or a place that God has put on your heart that when you think about them, oh, like you're, kind, you're stirred. You're a little, you're distressed. Like you, I wish better for this person or I wish better for, for this group of people or for this place or this city. Like you have a burden for them. Who is it? You have those people, that person in your mind. With all that's going on in our country, We don't have to reach too far to find people that need Christ and that need the gospel. So if this morning you're kind of coming up empty and you're thinking, you know, I don't really have anyone that's that's stirring me right now. I don't have anyone that I have a burden for right now. Ask God. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's pray real quick before we continue. God, would you put on our hearts the people that you want us to have a burden for? Who is it that you want us to be deeply distressed because they're not following you right now? Would you reveal that to us, God? And if we already know who those people are, some of us, we had a name as soon as I finished that question. Pray that we would hold, hold tight to those people as we finish this sermon, as we, as we go throughout this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have Paul who is deeply distressed for these Athenians because they are worshiping idols. He knows the truth. He has been set free from his past, and now he is walking in freedom, and he is an heir, and he is a son of God, and he wants those people to have what he has and to worship the one true God. So what did he do? What's the first thing that Paul did when he got to Athens? It's the pattern. He went to the synagogue. He went and spoke to the Jews. And then after that, it says that he went 
into the marketplace. The Agora is what it was called. The Agora was the place where people would gather, and this is actually the place where um, we, we uh, in some of my reading I learned that Socrates and, and Plato, that's where they would go. They would go to the Agora. They would go and they would, um, that's where the people gathered a lot of times in the marketplace, and that's where they would stand around and talk, hey, do you have anything new? What have you heard lately? Um, my, just, my earrings just go out. Um, what have you, what's been going on? So he went to the synagogue, and then he went to the marketplace. And we see an interesting word there that, he, that we read that describes how he interacted with them. It says he reasoned with them in the synagogue. It doesn't say he preached at them or he spoke at them, but he reasoned with them. And that word reasoned leaves a little bit of room or maybe a lot of room for discussion. So he didn't just go and say, this is what you need to do. This is how you are saved. Um, you need to follow Jesus. You need to turn from your life of sin. Bah. No, he left room for discussion. He left room for talking and exploring. He left room for them asking questions. So we see that this was, he went to the synagogue to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. And then he went to the marketplace to talk with the people there about who God is. And so it says that in verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Okay, so let's give, I want to give you a little, you may already know this, but a little bit of background about who the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were and why is it important that Luke put that in Acts. Like, I mean, why are these people mentioned? Why are this, this group? There's always a purpose. God's word is so intentional and I know Matt's talked about this, but paper was so expensive and it took so long to write everything down. We know that every word that was written is intentional and it's there for us for a purpose. The Epicureans, they were founded by Epicurus. He did not believe in the afterlife and he, they emphasized the pursuit of pleasure and the freedom from pain. As far as religion is concerned, they believed that a god or gods created the world, that these gods or god, whomever, created the world, but then they took their hands off. Okay, so that's important to remember about the Epicureans as we look into Paul's sermon in a few minutes. So he, he created the world, he did what he needed to do to get, the, to get it in motion, either god or gods, and then hands off, no interaction, no um, back and forth, doesn't care anymore, bye. Okay? And then the Stoics, Stoicism was founded by a guy named Zeno, and he believed um, in the pursuit of virtue. So the highest goal was to be ethical and moral. And they also believed um, that they were pantheistic, so they believed that God was in everything. God was everything. I'm God, you're God, that's God. So this all is God kind of view. Okay, so that's important why Luke mentioned that and why we're going to see how Paul addresses some of these in the message in a little bit. Okay, so some said, picking up at the end of verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Oh, that stings a little bit. I mean, they just came at him. What is this ignorant show-off trying to say. 
So some people were on board and some people were listening and then some people were calling him an ignorant show-off. But did Paul turn around and go home and say, well, you know, these people hurt my feelings. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to mess with them anymore. No, he kept on. And one thing I want to point out right here is that when we remind ourselves of our identity, when we remind ourselves of our mission, we can continue in whatever God has for us. So we had an assignment this week in Sunday school. Willie asked us to look through scripture and remind ourselves and find out who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Who does it say we are? And so we did some of that during the week. And then in Sunday school this morning, we went through and we um, looked at some verses that talked about who we were in Christ. And I was the scribe, very bad handwriting, but I did it anyway. And I wrote things down, and whenever I turned it around, it was just full, full of words and full of who we were in Christ. And we only spent about, you know, 20 minutes on that. And we had a full board. I mean, you couldn't hardly read it because there were so many different things that we are healed, that we are saved, that we are forgiven, that we are sinners, but we are loved and that we have been set free, that we are pure, that we are chosen, that we are royalty that we, have, we are sons and daughters, that we are heirs in Christ, that we are saved, loved, forgiven, set free, that we have a place in heaven, that we have, um, we have power in God. We mentioned that earlier in the week, that we have power based through the Holy Spirit in God. So when we are reminded of who we are, it doesn't matter what other people say. They can call us ignorance. They can, ignorant, they can call us show-offs. Some of us are at this point in our relationship with God that we're growing and we're leaning in. Like we want more and our life is beginning to show that. But there may be certain people in our life that we're afraid to really show who we are to. Because they may, they may think that we're being holier than thou or they may think that we're showing off. But let's not worry about them. Let's remember who we are. And there is a verse in Proverbs 29, 25. It says, The fear of man is a trap, but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. So when we care more about what other people say about us than what God says about us, that's a trap. And that leads to frustration and so many different things that are unhealthy. That's the fear of man. But when we trust in God and who he says we are, there's freedom, there's power, there's anointing, and there is effectiveness in our mission. Because we are all called as individuals to take the gospel to the world in which we live, in our circles. And we're called as a church at Hope Pool here, Hope Pool United Methodist Church, to be a group of people that bring the mission that bring the gospel, that bring God's word, his love, his freedom, his forgiveness to the area in which we live. And if we're focused on what people say about us, that mission is not effective. But when we remember who we are in Christ, just like Paul did, we can keep going and we can see fruit through the Holy Spirit on our mission. So let's look at verse 19. Then they took him, and they brought him to the Areopagus. And they said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? 
because what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Okay, so we have, let's go to the picture of the Areopagus. This is the hill that it was on, and you can see it now. That's what it looks like now, but it was, it was elevated. It was higher than everything else in Athens. Well, not higher than everything. It was high, and then the Acropolis, where all the important other buildings were on, was even higher, but the Areopagus was high as, as an indication of we are, we are high thinkers here. Okay? So this is where it was. And so the, the men, they said, we want to hear more about what you're teaching. This is strange. This is interesting. We want to hear more about this. So they took him to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is the hill. It's the name for the hill, the physical location. But the Areopagus is also the name of the council. And the people who were on the council at the Areopagus were called Areopagites. And so Paul was taken in front of the Areopagites to, um, to tell about this new strange thing about the resurrection. Because it mentioned in verse 18, he's telling us the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Yeah, let's hear it. You know, we're open to new things. It says all they do all day long is just listen to new ideas and hear new ideas. <clears throat> so he said, it's your turn, Paul. So Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus. And we get this beautiful, long glimpse of Paul's sermon. Usually in Acts, we only get just a little snippet of what he said. We don't get a long, like, so many verses about what he said. So this is really a treasure that we have such a long um, account of what he said. It's so detailed and so beautiful. So, um, So Paul addresses them. People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. So these guys had had their objects of worship, whatever they looked like, um, these statues or these idols, these objects of worship, and they had labels under them saying the name, and then they even had one that said to the unknown God, just in case we missed one, right? Just in case we don't have all of our bases covered. And this is so beautiful that Paul, I'm sure with his deeply distressed heart, he probably had a little bit of hope when he saw this engraving that said to the unknown God because he felt that there was space there. And he said, guys, the unknown God here, let me proclaim him to you. Paul knew his mission, and his mission was to proclaim the gospel. And let God make himself known to these people, and that's exactly what he did. But you notice that Paul's approach in this is different than the synagogue, isn't it? When Paul went to the synagogue, he talked about Jesus being the Messiah, and he wanted to make sure that they knew based on the scripture, who, he, who Jesus was, that he was a fulfillment of the Messiah. Well, it's a different approach. Here, he addressed them being religious. He knew they were religious. He went, he, he was relevant. 
And we hear that word, and sometimes that feels like a bad word, but really it just means finding a touch point, finding a place where you can meet the people on common ground and then going from there in a way that you know will, will um, be applicable to them and then getting to the gospel. So that's what he did. He, made, he was making a connection to the people. Um, he told them that they were extremely religious, and they were, but not in the way that, that God had desired for them. God put in us an innate thirst for him, an incurable religiosity. We all worship something. Every person on this planet is worshiping something. My son, Blaise, is named after the philosopher and the mathematician Blaise Pascal. He, was in the seven, he lived in the 1700s. He was French. And he said something that I learned in college and that has stuck with me ever since. And the, one of the reasons I named him after him, because I love this quote so much. But he said, there is a God-shaped hole in all of us that only God can fill. That's my paraphrase, but it's basically what he said. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us that only God can fill. And so, so many of us are trying to fill that hole with, with other religions and fill it with, with fame or fill it with uh, political agendas or, or fill it with um, uh, friendship or, or you name it. Any, any idol that's not God. But it's nothing will satisfy because that shape in us Figuratively speaking, can only be filled by God, and God made it that way. So when we are worshiping other things, we end up feeling empty and dissatisfied and discontent, even if we can't put a name to it. Our only contentment and true satisfaction comes from God, and Paul knew that, and he wanted those people to find true life, life abundant in Jesus Christ. So our bottom line for today is religion at its best is a trainer. Relationship is the only way to the Savior. Paul wanted them to find relationship in Jesus. It wasn't about behavior or how well you do something or how often you do something or, or how, what you say. It's, it's about relationship. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we must be in relationship with Jesus to get to the Father. And he made a way for that when he died on the cross and when he rose again from the dead. Amen? Because of that, we have relationship with Jesus. Because of that, we are a people that are free and loved and forgiven and given a mission. We are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. And Paul was so burdened for them. He wanted this for them so badly. Do you know the need of the people that God has given you a burden for? So think back to the beginning of the, or a few minutes ago when we talked about who are the people that God has put on your heart. Maybe it's one person, maybe it's a group of people. Like, what is their need? What do they need most? We know it's Jesus, ultimately, but do they have any physical needs? Do they have any financial needs? 
Is there anything you can do to help them right now? Is there any way that you can bridge the gap to make a connection so that you can open the door for a relationship to share the gospel with them? What if you have someone on your heart right now who's lost someone recently? What do they need? What could they use right now? Let's look at how Paul approached the sermon from this point on. In verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. The unknown God that I'm proclaiming to you right now, he's not in this statue that you've made for him. He's not made by human hands. He is the creator of the earth. He is the creator of you. Verse 26, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of which they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. I love this verse. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. What did the Epicureans believe about God or gods? That they created the world, and then what? Hands off. What was Paul telling them about his God? about the God, that he was the creator. He started there. It's a great place to start. But then he talked about how he, he assigned and appointed the time for me to live. I was born in 1980. He appointed that time for me. He appointed me to live in this area of the South. And then at one point I lived in Colorado, and now I'm back in the South. He appointed the boundaries for me. The same for every person on this planet. Why? So that we would seek him, so that we would reach out for him, and when we do, that we would find him. For in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. So he didn't just make us and leave us alone. He made us, and he gives us life day after day after day. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. God. We are here right now because of him. Our bodies are able to breathe because of him. We are able to move because of him. In him we live and we move and we have our being. He's like, let me introduce you to that God. Paul was so intentional with his path. But he didn't just stop there. There was a call to action. And when we share the gospel with people, we don't want to just tell them about how they are loved. Yes, that's important. Please tell them that about the creator. Yes, that's important. Please tell them that. But he says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God commands all people everywhere to repent 
Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Guys, I was doing some studying and I read here the fact that he talked about, we don't see him mention the cross up to this point. But this is just a summary of what he said. So some people believe that because he mentioned the resurrection, he had already talked to them about the cross and what Jesus had done. But we talk about whenever we, we minister to the people that we are burdened for, and God eventually, through relationship, opens that door for us to share the gospel with them. We talk about repentance, that we were going one way, but now we're going to go the other way. That we were living a life of blindness, really of death, but through the cross and through the resurrection, we are brought into life. That he calls them everywhere to repent. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. Okay, here it is again. You ignorant show off. Wait, resurrection? There's no way resurrection can happen. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. And then it says, Paul left their presence. I guess God didn't want him to keep talking there. He had a mission for him somewhere else, but Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite. So one of the men in this council, there were other people listening too, but I'm talking about like the in-group, like the people who were the council over all of these high thinkers and, and all of this. He became a believer. He became a follower of Jesus and later on, he became the patron saint of Athens. And I read that the Pope, whenever he goes and visits Athens, that he will climb the Areopagus. That picture we saw that the Pope will climb the Areopagus in remembrance of Paul's sermon there. In remembrance of Dionysius there. And then a woman named Damaris and others with them. So whenever you have people that you are burdened for, that God has put on your heart, not just to love and care for them physically, financially, or whatever that looks like, but he also wants us to share with them spiritually. When that happens, there may be ridicule. They may think that you're being a show-off or a holier-than-thou. But that, their response is not up to you. It's up to God. God is, we, we are obedient. We walk in the path that he has for us. We go forth, we remember our identity. We go forth in the mission. But God is the one who changes hearts. And so we don't have to bear that responsibility. God will take care of that. We just need to do what he's asked us to do. And that's what happened here. Some of them ridiculed him and rejected the message. Some of them followed him and changed the course of their life and their history and their family's history and their city's history because they chose to open their hearts So our last question, how can you creatively reach the people God's given you a burden for? We've talked about who God's given you a burden for, maybe what their need is. Okay, so now the feet hit the road, right? What can you do about it? What can you do this week about it? Maybe the person on your heart is someone close, someone that you already know, someone that you're already in circles with, and so it may be a little easier to physically help them. Sometimes that makes it harder 
to speak to them on a spiritual matter, doesn't it? It makes it hard sometimes to talk to people, but the Lord will give you strength to do that and the words to say and the timing for that. Um, but what is, your, what is your connection? How can you connect? Maybe the, the people that God's given you a burden for isn't someone that's local, isn't someone that you know in your circle. Maybe it's a group of people that you aren't in contact with. Maybe it's a country. Maybe it's a people group. Maybe it's a certain people in our, in our country that's going through different things that, may, that you have a burden for. Maybe you could find ministries that are currently serving those people. Find out how to donate to them financially or how to get involved physically with those ministries, with the people who are already doing that. Maybe God wants you to start something new. Maybe you're the one that he wants to start some ministry to minister to those people that he's given you a burden for. I don't know. But God knows, and he'll reveal that to you as you continue to keep your heart open and your hands open and continue to ask him what he wants you to do, what your mission is. Um, with all that's gone on in the past few days in our country, um, I believe that it's, it's time for the church to step up, whatever that looks like, to take care of the people who are in hard situations. And we are already partners with the pregnancy center, and we can, we can reach out to them and find out what they need and how they can help. Maybe you um, have a power washing. Well, Noble's going to start doing some power washing. I was like, you could go there and offer to do free power washing at, at their place. You know, whatever it is that you can do to connect, to form a relationship, to, to reach out to them, that's one way of helping. But get creative. Ask God, how can you creatively reach the people that he's given you a burden for? How can you proclaim the unknown God to them? The one they are looking for, but they haven't found. Because remember, there's a God-shaped hole in all, in all of us that only God can fill. Paul sets a great example of this to us as he went to the people in Athens. And he didn't just come in and do his normal way of handling the synagogue. He didn't do that. He knew what they needed, and he went at it that way. He was very creative in his approach. He says in 1 Corinthians 9:22, I became all men, oh sorry, let me start over. I became all things to all men so that by all possible means I may save some. And I read this quote from Dr. Tony Evans and it's beautiful. It says, in non-essential matters, Paul was willing to adopt the ways of either Jews or Gentiles so that he may gain hearing among them for the sake of the gospel. When we truly grasp God's great love for us, we come to see that serving him and winning others to him should be our passion. After all, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that be your motivation and resolve to let nothing prevent you from exalting your Savior and making the good news known to others. And remember, God is the one that opens hearts. God is the one that makes himself known. We can proclaim, and then he makes himself known. God is working on the people he is asking you to speak to. You know that? You wouldn't have a burden on your heart for those people unless God had a plan for them, unless he was beginning to churn and work and stir in them as well. We don't change hearts. God's do God does. Lots of freedom comes in taking our hands off the situation and letting God work. Just ask for our obedience. Religion at its best is a trainer. Relationship 
is the only way to the Savior. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.